This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and this is This Naked Mind podcast, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, we're here with a naked life story from Mike. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great, Annie. How are you? Good. Good to see you again. It was so fun to meet you at the live event. That was just awesome. It's great it was to meet you. Yep. That's great. So cool. So why don't you um, back way up sort of to the beginning, like maybe even your first drink and, and take us way back there and, and let me know. Um, start there. Okay. Uh, well, basically, I, I guess I can start sort of back from my first uh, recollection of that uh, that time. I mean, when I was, my parents emigrated to, to, to Canada, where we currently live, uh, when I was about five years old. So my first, and they both came from the UK. And it was very much, uh, you know, an environment where they had a lot of smoking and drinking in the house. It was just something that they came up with culturally. So my first recollections are, you know, coming upstairs from, you know, being downstairs watching TV, uh, house parties with my parents and their friends. Um, all sort of standing around with a drink in their hand and a cigarette in the other hand and just kind of that was the culture at the time which is what and so I always thought you know from day one it was a normal everyday thing that everybody did um, I sort of you know that was the, uh, the very much uh, normal for them it was normal for uh, so for me um, as I got older I sort of you know as you sort of adapt a little bit and you sort of recognize more things you sort of see um, you know, you become aware of things a little bit more. And as, as I got into my teenage years, I noticed that there was a lot more, um, you know, a lot, it became, I became a lot more um, obvious of it, I became more um, aware of it. And, uh, you know, and as being the oldest of three kids, I had a younger brother and younger sister, and they both, uh, um, you know, I, I sort of felt a little bit of um, protectiveness around them. So a lot of times I'd sort of stay, you know, I sort of give them a little more room, a little more, uh, uh, sort of come upstairs and spend some time with my parents while they were drinking. So my, my kids, did, my kid brother and sister didn't have to. Um, and that extended right up until my later high school years when I went off to, uh, I'd go out to parties and I'd come home late at night. And usually my mom would be sitting up waiting for me um, at that point. And, and it was very much, you know, sort of, I'll just, you know, I had to sort of get her, to talk to her when I got home and kind of explain how my night went and everything. And she'd usually have a glass of wine with her. It was very much still a, uh, you know, that was once again, sort of the culture at the time. I didn't think anything of it um, at the time. But then, you know, as I got older and older, I realized that it wasn't probably normal at that point. Um, when, I, when I went off to university uh, in, in Ontario and Canada, I was at university, it was an age of 19. I turned 19 two months before I went to university. So I arrived at university, you know, out of an environment where I was basically, you know, sort of basically ready, ready to, ready to party, right? Um, I didn't drink a whole lot in high school. You know, I had a few, a few events here and there where I remember some bad recollections, some bad nights, uh, as most people did, um, experimenting here and there with alcohol. But generally, it wasn't, uh, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't a, a regular cultural thing that I would do. I didn't go out and get hammered every weekend or anything. It was, it was very rare. Um, so when I went off to university and turned legal, so I could go into pubs and I can go into bars and I can go into clubs and I can go buy alcohol for my friends and I could do everything else. Um, I was pretty popular in first year of my university and uh, I took full advantage of that. So I spent, uh, you know, basically my first two years of university, uh, my first year in residence with a whole bunch of friends and all, all guys residents. So you can imagine some of the parties that we had. Uh, my second year, I moved in with a couple of friends into an apartment. So it was my first time sort of living independently away from sort of a residence type setup. Um, a new experience again, but once again, you know, a lot of opportunities to go out and party and do that thing. So my academics really suffered the first two years of university. 
um, to the point that I, you know, I had to really pull my boots up by, th by the third, by my third year, so my junior year of university. And I did that. I mean, I was able to sort of turn things around and, uh, you know, get myself back on the beam again. Uh, and, you know, that's just, that's kind of my personality. It's another thing too. I'm very, you know, I mean, people talk about addictive personalities. I don't, I'm not sure if it's that, but it's more of a, you know, more of a, um, you know, a, a very proactive, when I get my mind on something, I do it. Right. So, yeah. I make a decision. I flip that switch. Okay. It's done. Um, which obviously has served me well in this regard. Um, not to give away the ending of the story yet, but, um, so going after, so after in third year university, fourth year university, I sort of, you know, I got into, I found, uh, I was a science major, um, got a biology degree coming out of college university. Uh, in fourth year university, I met my, uh, I met a girl, my, my girlfriend who eventually would go on to become my wife. Um, we got married a year out of university. Um, we've been happily married 25 years as of this summer. Um, so, uh, very, awesome. it was fortuitous and she stuck with me along this whole path, but, uh, that kind of settled me down a little bit. Like in, you know, obviously you don't have a lot of money. You're sort of, you know, a starving student, the whole thing, all my money was going towards at that point, you know, keeping, um, my social life with, and in this case, and my girlfriend, uh, you know, you know, doing as much as we could together. Um, so it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of alcohol involved, but once again, we were, you know, university students. So everything was, you know, as it was, um, I worked for a year after I graduated, uh, while she was going through an, a fifth year of uh, sort of advanced, um, education training. And, uh, so we sort of were together again for a year, um, outside of university. And that was great. And then, uh, we got married the following year. Uh, and at that point, obviously when you're starting out, you know, you have no money. So, you, I mean, I think the way I look at it, I mean, there's two things that really help you when you're, when you're looking into, you know, alcohol is time and money. <laughs> if you have the time and you have the money and then the means, that's the thing. So we didn't have either at that point. So we didn't have, you know, our idea of a, of a big night out would be, you know, a couple of subway subs and a six pack, right. For the, for the two of us. And that would be our big romantic night out. So we didn't have a lot of money to throw around for, um, for alcohol and that sort of thing in the early days. Um, couple of year, uh, but and that was probably the first four or five years of our marriage. Um, my first son came along um, about five years after that, after we uh, got married. And once again, we threw ourselves into parenthood. So we were very much, you know, active parents. My wife, um, you know, she had her, mat her maternity leave and then I took some time. Um, you know, we both had very, we we're very active in raising the kids um, at the, when they were young. Uh, I have two boys who are 20 and 18 now. Um, so they were, uh, you know, it was very, um, in the early days, you know, it was very, you had, you're running around. We had a dog and a cat as well. We had sort of the nuclear family, you know, living in the, in the suburbs, the whole thing, um, starting out, but we didn't have any money because we were paying mortgages and paying for diapers and baby formula and everything else. So once again, we didn't have the means to really, so, so I, I was, you know, I'd have a couple of beers on the weekend or it was, you know, here and there, you know, the normal, what we'd call sort of the typical moderate drinker, right? We'd have a, an opportunity to go to a party somewhere. We'd take some beers with us and then we'd go home. But there was, there was no, you know, and there were a couple of times we went to weddings and things got out of hand. Had, you know, everybody has nice stories like that when that things, you know, but it wasn't a regular thing. It was here and there and it was very much um, because we were so so busy with the kids. Yeah. Um, that probably went on for the next 15 years in the sense that I was very active with the boys in the sense that I, I coached them soccer and hockey and, uh, baseball and some other, um, you know, I was very active. I was a scouts leader with them when they were little, um, you know, doing all those things. So I didn't have the time or really, you know, I had to really organize things and prepare, you know, coaching plans and prepare um, other things. And then I was subsequent to that, I was a hockey trainer. So I was, I was responsible not only for our, I did training courses. So I was not only responsible for our kids, but also for the other 15 or 16 kids on the roster on the team. So um, you couldn't be 
you know, they, it didn't give you an opportunity and there was no time for anything and you were, you had to be focused and responsible. And, you know, that was, you know, very, very much, uh, that wasn't, I, I mean, looking back, I can, that's sort of, that was obviously something that kept me when you, when I was busy enough, I didn't see the need or the purpose to, to drink outside of, you know, the normal, once again, the normal moderate, what you would get a moderate um, system of, you know, every, on weekends sitting on the back deck or going to a bar somewhere or whatever, it would be here and there, right? The normal, what people say, normal drinking. Um, as they got older and their, their social lives sort of started to change a little bit, um, obviously I had more free time because as they got older and started driving themselves places and, you know, their friends would drive them and, you know, it was all sort of, uh, were, my responsibilities in their regard as a parent sort of decreased. Uh, I wasn't as, as, it wasn't as necessary. Um, and I was obviously, you know, we're 15 years further down my, my, um, my professional career. So we have, you know, we're not paying, you know, we're, we're not as um, tight money wise as we were in the early days. Um, we have a lot more, you know, freedom, time, um, you know, we're both doing fairly well professionally. So, you know, it's, the, it's almost the perfect, you can see the perfect storm almost brewing here as we're going along. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of, you know, as, as, and that kind of perfect storm eventually ended us, um, put us into a, uh, on an island, well, Jamaica to be specific, at an all-inclusive resort, um, probably five or six years ago now. And uh, it was around New Year's Eve and the kids were, you know, probably 12 or 13, 12, 10, 10, 12, something like that. Um, and they'd met a bunch of other friends. They were at that age where they could go off and meet other friends and hang out and all the parents would sit around and, you know, and drink and eat jerk chicken and do everything. Um, and it was a real, I developed a real taste for rum during that trip. It was, it was one of those uh, vacations where, you know, everything had rum in it, right? You wake up in the morning, we went to, you know, we did, uh, we went, we went to, um, on some tour trips and, you know, they'd offer you a coffee, would you like some rum in that? Well, sure. You know, and it basically, it became something that, I, whereas I was only really drinking beer and occasionally wine before that, that's where I sort of, I got a taste for, um, for rum. And so when I got, we came back from that trip, um, I started, you know, I bought, I'd buy a bottle here and a bottle there and kind of stash them away and have them every now and then. Um, and every now and then became a little more frequently and became a little more frequently. And it kind of started to build up over the next year or so where it got to the point that I was starting, you know, I, I always had a, in my head that, you know, I could, I had a comfort level of what I was drinking. And when I went over that, I kind of, you know, I knew it was something I wasn't doing, what I was doing was wrong, but I also didn't have the, I figured I'll figure it out later type of thing. And of course you have celebratory and, or, um, you know, commiserate, you're, you're busy, you always have a reason to have a drink. So I'd find these reasons, um, wherever I could. And, uh, and anytime it became where I got to a level where I didn't think my, it would be comfortable, I'd start hiding things around the house. Right. And that was the first signal to me that, okay, something's not a little, and, you know, and, and if we go to an event, you know, I'd, I'd have a couple before knowing that there may not be as much there, L little things like that, um, just to add to the level I was doing it. Uh, that continued for another couple of years. And then in middle of May, I guess, 2015, or sorry, uh, August, 2015, um, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer. And that was basically, you know, that was kind of a, a big shot for not, not, some, not a shock, but a, uh, sort of a shot to my system in the sense that uh, 20 years previous to that, she had quit cold turkey, both drinking wow. and smoking. So she basically woke up one day, I, very similar to what I, what I remember reading in the book about your dad, basically waking up and saying one day, yep, there's not doing me any good anymore. I'm done. Right. 
And she basically did the exact same thing. And we were, you know, back then I was mid twenties and we were like, yeah, sure, mom, sure. You know, the whole thing, but she did it. And she basically never drank again or never smoked a cigarette again, despite the fact that my dad does, you know, did both in the house as well. So um, I knew that, you know, that was kind of a shot in a sense that, you know, she, she quit and it still kind of got her in the end. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, so that was, you know, the, the stress around my mom was also in the sense that I was the oldest, but I wasn't always present because I had, you know, I had my family, I had my, my wife, my kids, the dog, the cat. Um, we lived an hour and a bit away. I commuted an hour to work every day. Um, so I wasn't available to my mom to help out when she was ill, when she was off, when she was uh, going to her treatments and going to her appoint various appointments, whereas my younger brother and sister were. Um, and it was great. It was great for them, obviously, or great for um, that they were available to do that. But I felt a guilt because of that. So that was another reason that things kind of ramped up again. So in addition to the stress about my mom's health, there was also the personal, like, oh, I need to be a better son, but I can't be um, side of things. So that would add to it as well. Um, and that went, I said, uh, that continued for another, you know, it was about nine months later um, that my mom I'm uh, sorry, at, this, at around the same time as that was happening with my mom, my dad had some heart issues <laughs> so that he was dealing with that he put off until um, he was going to put off until, you know, he, until he, he was helping out with my mom at the same time too. So both my parents were dealing with these health issues. I wasn't around to help out. So I was kind of, you know, trying to help as much as I could from afar. But, you know, that made it very easy to, you know, go grab something out of a liquor cabinet and, <laughs> you know, deal with, deal with it that way before I started to bring things down to a level where I could deal with them. Um, she passed away in May 2016, so actually on Mother's Day, as it turned out, ironically enough, mm -hmm. um, on May 2016, and uh, you know that was diff was very difficult for everybody. Um, but for me, I internalized a lot of this, um, and this is something I've been doing since I was a little kid. I mean, a lot of the um, going right back to. I mean, I always also knew that part of the the drinking I was doing was doing to, was sort of suppressing a lot of the a lot of sort of anxiety and sort of depression issues and things like that that I'd had since I was a little kid. And this goes back to you know your you know the whole mentality of you're not good enough that sort of self building self loathing side of things that I'd had you know I'd had experiences in high school. I hated my high school experience. You know a lot of you know I tried to be a little bit of everything to everybody, but never really fit in anywhere. So I kind of you know, survived high school as opposed to graduated high school. And, uh, you know, and a lot of that, um, a lot of that went away when I, when I met my wife, when we got married and, you know, life settled down and things got happy again, but it was always still there. It was always yeah. kind of lurk, lurking just below the surface. And uh, so fast forward to my mom's funeral and I sort of spoke on behalf, you know, I gave the eulogy, spoke on behalf of our family, but I didn't feel any emotion around it. And it was just, I really bottled everything up to the point that I just couldn't deal with it. Right. And a lot of that was because I'd been suppressing these feelings for so long, like all through her illness. It was, you know, I wasn't allowing myself to sort of feel anything. Right. So it was very difficult to, uh, it was very difficult to, to cope with it at that point. Um, and so that, once again, this was May, 2016. Um, in the aftermath of that, you know, my dad had surgery that summer. He had his, he had his heart um, issues dealt with, which was great. But once again, there was stress around that. And so I'm going through sort of the, you know, the guilt around my mom, plus the guilt around my dad, plus the stress and everything else. And it's still rolling through that summer. Um, but, but you wouldn't have known it. Like I was still high functioning at work. I had no, you know, it, it was, it was completely, I was hiding it. Well, everything that was going on in the, in the back and uh, behind the scenes. Um, so, and once again, that sort of went rolled and, you know, my dad had his, his procedures done and everything. And into November of that year. So once again, we're talking about two years ago now, 
um, my company downsized and uh, had a corporate reorganization and I was let go from my job for 11, for the, working with the company for 11 years. Um, that, you know, that obviously hit home. It was, came right out of left field. I had no expecta expectation of it. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, side, sort of sideswiped me a little bit. Um, and once again, you can see these things adding up as we're going along here. Um, the, which, which was very, which was obviously very difficult. Um, but it came with a nice severance package. It came with, you know, they treated us very well as they sort of showed us the door. So having said that, you know, that set me up once again into the holiday season in the November, we're in around this time of year, you know, going into November and Christmas and the new year um, with a lot of time because the boys are both older now and quite a bit of money. So <laughs> once again, it's the, once again, the perfect storm. And my wife and I had just so happened to have uh, booked a trip to Cuba that year. So we were going to take the boys on our last family vacation to Cuba um, over the new year. So that was pre-booked. So we did that trip. So once again, there's another all-inclusive resort right at that time um, when all these things are happening. Um, so I'd put off on the sort of looking for a new job and looking for a new position um, until the new year. I thought, okay, I have to just get this out of my system. Let's go to Cuba, have a great time. Um, so we did that. We went down, had a great vacation with the boy, with my, with my two boys and uh, came back and I was right into looking for a new job. I was all set, you know, I'd sort of gotten it out of my system. I sort of thought, okay, let's just move on and start going. So they'd given us some transitional services. You know, we talked about, um, uh, you know, we talked, you know, I, I had a company that we were working with to help us because I hadn't been in the job market for 20 years. So obviously looking for a job in the nineties versus looking for a job in the 21st century, a little different. Um, but it was amazing. You know, I spent about two or three months. I dove headfirst into, you know, learning how to do interviews again and learning how to write resumes again and just how to, how to apply to jobs again and all these various things and, you know, networking and all of the various things that you get in that scenario. And I was all over that. And I was, I loved it. It got me up in the morning. I'd sit in front of my computer. I said, okay, what are we going to do today? Um, and that went on. And I had that exuberance for probably three or four months where that was really the focus. And I was going down, I was going into the city and meeting up with people and having coffee and chatting and, it was just, it was great. And occasionally, you know, having a beer for lunch with them because I, I didn't have to go back to work in the afternoon. Um, and then after a while, it started to get, you know, after four or five months of that, it became kind of, you know, and applying for a few jobs, having a couple of interviews, but nothing really um, being, nothing really biting. I got to the point where, you know, I started to get back into those old feelings again, whereby, you know, I'm not good enough. Why aren't I getting a job? Why aren't things happening for me? Um, and that, uh, you know, that kind of got me into the summer where, you know, once again, we're into the summer months again. So it's almost seasonal, like this whole, <laughs> this whole thing is kind of rolling through the seasons. Um, so back to patio season again. So now rather than doing the work at the kitchen table, I'm taking it out on the back deck and I'm having sitting there in the afternoon with a drink and kind of, you know, organizing my day and doing things like that. Um, then, and then the, so, but in the back of my head, once again, I thought this isn't sustainable. I can't keep doing this. I have to, like something's got to drop. I'm, I'm not going to find something, you know, things aren't going to work out if I keep doing this. Um, but around that time, I also, then I went and had a, um, my annual physical around the same time. And some of my liver numbers, the, my liver enzyme numbers were increased. So there's a biological, you know, for, for somebody who's a, who's a scientist by trade, you know, you start getting things, you know, you start getting evidence getting piling up and, you know, it's, it becomes pretty obvious that you need to think about making a change. Um, so that was a, a real eye opener for me. Um, and I, and he basically, and you, you know, you get the question, how, how many drinks do you have? How many, what do you drink a week? And, uh, I, of course I lie, like everybody lies, <laughs> they down, they down, they, they take their numbers down a little bit. Um, but then I, you know, I told him probably more than I should be, 
uh, and he said, okay, you need to moderate, cut yourself back. And this was, this was the first time I really, really dove into full on, okay, I'm going to moderate. I'm going to bring it back down into a reasonable number and yeah. let's get things under control again. Um, so, and so he was giving you moderate from the number you were giving him, which wasn't the real number. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was, it was basically, that's yeah, it was basically <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, he's, I, I gave him a number and he, he sort of gave me a look and I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe it's a little more than that. And maybe yeah. it's not what I'm telling you, et cetera. Um, so at the same time though, because of the anxiety and everything I was feeling about the, uh, about my job hunt, I also asked him if I could look into potentially some sort of therapy for that. Is there somebody I can talk to about sort of dealing with the anxiety and the stress related to my job um, search and sort of the, the, that was coming to. So, um, I was, you know, so I actually went to a few sessions of that and uh, I actually met with a therapist who also was an addiction counselor. So she actually had a lot of experience with working with people who were coming alcohol, alcohol and drug addicts uh, who had, or at least who had um, addiction issues. Um, and she flagged me kind of quickly when I started some of the things I was saying about my growing up and my, my history and some of the things. And she said, you realize that you'd probably say you sound a little more than this is just, this isn't just normal drinking you're telling, you're describing here. And I, so um, so she actually put me onto a, a, a like a schedule and said, okay, what I want you to do is moderate and look, and I want you to write down exactly what you drink every week. And like when you come back for the next week's session, I'd sit down. It was almost, you know, so I have to, I have to tell her, okay, I had two beers this night, one beer that night, whatever it was. Um, and that actually worked quite well. And this was me sort of, once again, I'm, I'm going to this point, coming from this point where I need to get my, these numbers. I have to see, I have to make sure I haven't done any permanent damage to myself. So this is, I was freaking out about, you know, what if I killed my liver already? Like, what if this is done? Right after 30 years you know, of doing this, knowing that my mom had come through this, and knowing there may be a genetic, there may be something genetic going on, I thought, okay, I have to, uh, you know, I have to deal with this. So, I did mod, and it worked. I moderated for about maybe five, six weeks. It actually worked really, really well. Where I was only maybe having, two, maybe I'd buy, a, you know, I'd buy a six pack of beers and put them in the fridge, and I, whatever, when they were gone, they were gone. But it was. Um, I know you talk about this in your book and talk about too, that the moderate, like the amount of brain power that that was taking on a weekly basis. Like, when am I going to drink these beers? You know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Then I had to write them down and, you know, just, and then the whole, you know, and, and then it started to, it started to slip a little bit whereby, you know, rather than writing it down right away, I'd say, oh, I'll write it down tomorrow or I'll write it down at the end of the week and I'll take these notes. And eventually, you know, a beer, a bottle of beer went to a tall boy and it went to, you know, rather than the numbers, right? And, you know, well, maybe tonight I'll have a riot or a rum or else, something else instead. And, you know, and maybe I'd forget to record this and that. And it just, it, it totally didn't work at the end of the day. Um, but it did, it did in the short term, which was great because, you know, I was able to, you know, get things back under control again um, from a health point of view. Uh, that around the time that I stopped seeing um, that particular counselor was right around the time that I got my next job which was about almost a year to the date of my previous, uh, of my previous job. And that of course gave me reason to celebrate. I was all, you know, so I went from this whole negative down feeling to this euphoria of getting another job. And it was a, it was a great company, um, great bunch of people, um, just an amazing experience to just, you know, to get back into the workforce again. And it was in a similar area to what I was working in before. And it just seemed like the perfect fit. Um, and it, 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 you know, and it, but it, it was once again, it was right around the holidays time. So we had our Christmas party and we had, you know, we had nights where we just, oh, let's all go out and have a beer after work to sort of, you know, to get to know each other and all these sorts of things. And it just kind of, the gloves came off again. Um, and inner imminent wisdom at the time, my wife and I decided that we would celebrate me getting a new job by going to Vegas for New Year's Eve. <laughs> 
So this so last year we were uh, so this is now coming into like last last November last December um, New Year's Eve we spent in Las Vegas. So that was once again these vacations that we were planning around New Year's really weren't doing me any good um, as it turned out, and they seemed to be timed really ill timed when it came to um, the alcohol side of things. Um, but I went I went through that. Um, we went to had a great vacation down there, uh, you know Grand Canyon the whole thing. Uh, came back from that. And I really, at this, at this point, I really had thought that uh, things might be getting back into, I may be able to moderate, things might be getting back into normal again. I had, I had my blood work redone, everything came back normal. So I thought, once again, it was a validation. It's like, okay, good. Um, everything's good now. You know, I'm back to normal. I can do whatever I want again. Um, so very quickly, I slipped back into the habits I'd had earlier. So within another three or four weeks, um, you know, I was drinking regularly again. Um, I, I, I started to attend, I started to go to a lot more concerts, music concerts in the last year or so than I had pre in, in a lot of years previous because I had, once again, the time and the, the ability to do it, just the freedom to do it. Um, and that would occasionally mean going to a concert on a Tuesday night. And of course, when you do that, you go out for a couple of beers beforehand, you meet up with some people there, you have a couple more. And before you know it, it's, you know, it's, uh, you're drinking on nights when you wouldn't ordinarily be drinking again and drinking a lot. Um, so through January that continued uh, and then something happened. There was an event that I was scheduled to go to a social event with a, with a group of friends and something told me you can't go to this. And I don't know what it was. This was basically my, and I was sitting, I remember sitting at work one day and I got this feeling like I started to shake and I was just, I got, I just couldn't deal with it. And I was trying to do, I was trying to figure out what's wrong, what's going on. What do you, you know, I, and I just couldn't, I had to back out of the event and it was, it was an event. It was, it was just, it was a, you know, it, was, it was just one of the, it was going to involve alcohol and it was going to involve a close group of friends that we, that I'd gotten to know really, that I really had uh, gotten close to. Um, but it just didn't feel right. There was something that told me it, it just didn't feel right. So I, when I, and I know one of the other signs of things is, you know, A, when you start drinking alone and hiding it and that sort of thing, but B, when you start withdrawing and pulling yourself away from things. And I couldn't explain to myself, I, I, to this day, I still don't know why I did it. I don't know why I said, I'm not going, I can't do it. I just can't go. We had tickets. Uh, you know, we, we had, my wife and I had tickets. I came home. I said, I don't think I can go. She just, she just looked at me like, why did, why not? And I said, I just, it's just not, I just can't go. So that was a big eye opener for me. Um, basically a couple of weeks later, this is now into early February, a couple, a couple of weeks after that, um, I had uh, another moment where I'd sort of, I think, I think it was in a, a night when I'd had a few I had a couple of drinks that my wife didn't know about. I came upstairs to talk to her and she said, I'm not going to talk to you because you've been drinking. And I hadn't, it was a weeknight. I had told her very honestly, you know, I, I tried to back out of it. It's like she knew. And this is the other part of this whole thing is that she knew the whole time that this was going on. And to her credit, um, I, to this, to this day, I still look at her and I sort of, I sort of laugh about it because, and she feels like she, she was almost um, enabling me the entire time because she didn't call me on it. But, but had she called me on it earlier and said, you need to stop and give me an ultimatum, um, it would have backfired because I wasn't ready to hear it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, but anyway, so that, that was a warning that night when she kind of called me and realized that and it wasn't the first time she'd caught me with stuff that I, I, I had around the house too. Um, about a week later, uh, a similar event happened where I had come home and had a couple of drinks after work and I left a bottle out. She'd gone to bed earlier and I'd left a bottle out on the kitchen counter. Uh, the next morning she came down and found this empty bottle sitting on the kitchen counter that 
you know, she didn't know about. It was one that I obviously had just failed to, you know, I had a system whereby, you know, I had, you know, I had a whole rotation where I'd buy them and hide them and do this all thing. And it obviously, it slipped my mind that night. So that morning I came downstairs, the bottle was still sitting there. She hadn't said anything. She basically left it for me to find, sort of to let me sort of deal with it. Um, I walked into the other room and I said, I'm done. That's it. I'm not drinking it anymore. Wow. So that was February 23rd um, of this year. And, or sorry, yeah, the morning of February 23rd. So February 20th, midnight, around midnight, February 22nd was the last time I had a drink. So it was, That's awesome. uh, yeah, so basically nine, almost nine months from now to today or eight and a half months to today. Um, but that was just, it was just that moment. Like I said, it was just all these additive things. Things kept adding up and rolling along. And all of a sudden it was just, okay, that's it. I, you win. I basically, you know, life, life, you win. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and then that was it. So basically, you know, the, uh, starting in February, I, and I had no support on this. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so my wife and I actually had plans that weekend. We were going to a couple, we were going to a concert and going to an event, another event, um, down in Niagara Falls. Um, and during the course of that weekend, I sort of sat down and, and had a whole battle plan mapped out. And part of it was, okay, if I'm going to not drink, then I want to deal with whatever else I can deal with that might be underneath that. And I already knew about the anxiety. I already knew about the, the things that I sort of had been masking or suppressing with alcohol. And I, I look back I like probably since I was 16, 17 years old, like, you know, whenever things came on, that would be the time when I really do something. Um, and so Monday, the, the Friday afternoon, um, so the next day after I, after the morning I quit, um, I made a doctor's appointment to see my, my doctor and asked him for, I wanted something for anxiety. And he put me on a, an anxiety meds um, and an appointment on the Monday, went, went on the Monday had his, and got that. Uh, and I also asked him, in addition to that, I also said, you know, when, just so when the meds, if the meds do work, but if there are those days where I feel a little overwhelmed, is there not anything else? And we talked about it and he suggested CBT. Um, so I did some cognitive behavioral therapy uh, as well. So I scheduled that in as well. So the first month um, was very easy for me because I couldn't drink because I was on meds. I basically, that was part of my, my thought process was it'll give me 30 days because I'd done that before. I knew I could do 30 days uh, in the past. I'd had a couple of um, medical, but it was always, you know, on day 26, 27, 28, I was jonesing for that first beer. <laughs> it was, sure. I was, you know, you were building up to it. It's like, you know, you had it circled on your calendar. You're ready for that first, that day off. So whereas this time I, that wasn't going to be like that. I knew, okay, let's just do the 30 days and then move on from there. And, um, yeah, so I, and, and I was very, and, and the, the, the cognitive behavioral stuff was amazing. The CBT sessions really helped. Um, it's very similar to what I've been reading in a lot of books about, um, and also your ACT pro process is very similar to what they teach in, in CBT. Um, that's way too many acronyms, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, um, it, it's the same idea. It's basically recognizing, you know, where your core beliefs come from and then sort of stripping it back and, you know, figuring things out. So I've been basically doing that since, um, you know, March, April, and I've, and I've made a lot of missteps along the way. I've, I've, I've you know, there were times where I was very, you know, I went into full zealot mode, like where, you know, the thou shalt not drink, you know, let's have a, you know, I can't believe you guys are doing this. I can't believe this. Um, both to my wife occasionally in the house, because she, she still has a drink every now and then has a glass of wine with dinner you know, every now and then she's not by no means, she's never been a regular drinker, just, uh, um, on, you know, on occasional with, um, on a weekend type of thing. So basically what I was back in the old days, shall we say, um, but, uh, you know, I, and there were times where I sort of let that get the better of me to the point that I tried to preach 
above my, you know, punch above my weight when I should, when it should be with regards to, and it, and you know, that cost me some, some good friendships and some, in the case of some people just didn't want to hear it. Right. Right. They weren't ready for it. It was just something that people just really, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I, I take full responsibility for that. I have to own that. That's, that was me at that time. Um, and I can't blame the booze for it. <laughs> right. So it's, uh, that was me. That was actually me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so in, in my search for support, I started looking around the, um, you know, looking around the, the various deepest, darkest depths of the internet and stumbled across um, several writers. Um, the first one I found was, um, was Belle Robertson and her I'm Tired of Thinking About Drinking book, which I loved because it was written by a Canadian, me being a Canadian, um, transplanted Canadian, but a Canadian living in Canada and kind of uh, getting a feel for, you know, and the way she wrote was just, was, it, that book's just great. Um, it's fun to read and the whole concept of her wolfie and her voice in her head and everything. Um, it really spoke to me. So I read that book. I read, listened to all her podcasts. Um, and from that, at some point, it sort of migrated over to your site, to my, to the My Naked Mind, and uh, or this na this Naked Mind, and uh, basically, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, I, I picked up the book and I read it. I know you say to read it a couple chapters a day at a time, but I basically read the whole thing in two days, and it was just like a checklist for me. It was, you know, as I'm re as I'm reading through it, it's just like, yep, 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 yeah, you shouldn't do that. No, I know, I sh I know you shouldn't do that. Yeah, basically, everything that you said in there um, was very similar. I mean, the whole scenario. Um, the backstory and everything, it's just, it seemed to be like a playbook for me almost. So, um, and I, and everything made sense to me, like the whole concept of, you know, the, the, the ability to sort of turn it off and say, yeah, I'm done or, and have the strength of mind to sort of, you know, to get those, to get your unconscious and your conscious mind into alignment and just say, yep. Okay. I'm done. Um, I'd done it previously, and this is sort of as a side, as a side story. Um, back when I first met my wife, I was a double double coffee drinker, so a lot of double cream, double sugar, and everything, and it was just you know extra large coffees. Um, whereas my wife and her whole entire family was black coffee only, like they didn't have any of that in the house. So, so my mother-in-law, um, uh, lover, she used to, you know, have get like half and half cream and just have it in the fridge just for me when I'd come over um, when, I, when we were first dating and we first got married. Um, but I decided just one day, you know what, I'll just take black coffee. And so I went from drinking double doubles to black coffee overnight and I still only drink black coffee. So, you know, 15, 20 years later. So I knew that was in me. And then, so that coupled to my mom doing basically what I was looking at doing and taking that as a motivation. And, uh, this is where it kind of gets emotional for me too, is I sort of look at that as kind of, you know, she did it and it's almost to honor her. I, I have to, if I'm, I, I, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. Um, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so, and so along the way, like I said, so it was August, I think when I picked up your book um, and, you know, I think shortly thereafter, you know, we, uh, you had the, 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 this Naked Mind Lives went, you know, they had started that up and, you know, within about, I think, I think a day of you putting that up, I, I told my wife, I'm doing that. I'm going to go to Denver. We're doing this. This is not something that it's non-negotiable. I'm going there. So um, it just timed out perfectly for me. But, uh, oh, that's so cool. So, but the other thing, the other thing I just wanted to mention too, is the fact that along the way, I know the support side of things is, is important. I mentioned the first four or five months, I really had no support um, from mm -hmm. like an online community or anything like that. But what I did have is I was, I'm very fortunate to have um, a, my wife and my boys were very you know supportive. I told my boys early on, like as soon as I, I said, I think within like two or three weeks, I sat them down and went out to a restaurant one day and I said, okay, this is just so you know, I'm not drinking anymore. And this is why. And I told them, so they knew, and so they've been very supportive. 
Um, obviously, my wife's been very supportive the whole way. Um, but the other person that I've, I've really, there's, I have a, a, a close friend that I've met that I've, I've only met for like two or three years ago that I've gotten to know through um, through going to mute concerts and things like that. And she basically, you know, stepped, she's a non-drinker. So she, she sort of was there to support and she stepped totally outside of her normal sort of comfort zone for me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes all you need is just one person to say, I believe in you, right? Beyond your normal support group. There's just a sort of, and whether it's, you know, whether it's somebody famous or whether it's somebody, you know, that you meet on the street or just somebody that you, you know, through your work or somebody, there's somebody in your sort in your sphere of influence, to use that term. Um, and for me, she's, she's been, you know, she was my rock for a lot of nights when, you know, I needed somebody other than the people that I'd been tormenting for the last 20, you know, 25 years. Um, so sometimes it's, you know, and it, and it comes from places you don't always expect it. So, um, like I said, it's kind of neat. That's so cool. So. Yeah. I think it's important to get, you know, whatever you can in your corner. It's, yeah. that's really cool. Well, that's, that's quite the journey. That's so neat. It's, um, it's so cool that you came to Denver, which I think is just such a, a cool thing. You know, I mean, I, this is the first time I've ever done something like that. I had no idea yeah. sort of what to expect. And I mean, this is the first time that I have opened up a zoom chat for a podcast and seen a familiar face because uh, so far I've, yeah. you know, had any, um, I haven't known people before. So that's just a really cool thing and a really cool um, experience. It's, it's so cool. So that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I said this whole thing for I me, mean, I look at it as it's, uh, I mean, I use the path analogy. I know you mentioned that at the, that's, that's one of those things that I've, I've really sort of latched onto in the concept of, you know, everybody has their own path and people join you on it occasionally and occasionally, but everybody has their own, even, even people that are closest to you, like even your spouses and your kids, they're on parallel paths, but they're not on your path because right. your path's going to end someday, their path's going to end someday and they're not all going to end at the same time. We, I mean, Obviously, there are ways they could, but you hope they don't. <laughs> They're not intended to. Um, right. And just kind of, you know, when I use that as a, I use that as a metaphor, kind of walking in the woods and kind of thinking about, you know, people are walking towards you, people are walking away from you, people are walking beside you, people, you know, your paths intersect with other people's paths for short times or long times, and everybody has a reason for intersecting. And, you know, every now and then you pause and reflect and sort of figure out, am I going the right way or not? And then, you know, you get a signal and if you, and if you take a second to sort of evaluate it, you're going to get going in the right way again, rather than just like reacting and saying, Oh, no, got to go back the other way. So it's, uh, yeah, I've, 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 I have a lot of, uh, a lot of metaphors in my head when it comes to this sort of thing. And I think visualizing it that way helps a lot too. Um, but these are things that I hadn't thought of in the last five or six years because my brain hadn't been available to do that so <laughs> yeah it's amazing what opens up in terms of self-reflection and like what do you really want out of this life and are you you know like it's just a very existential exercise to stop drinking <laughs> it is absolutely it's and it's and as, as i tell people it's the greatest it, it's the greatest thing i could have done i mean it's, it's it's one change and yes it's a massive change but if somebody had come to me a year ago and said if you could change one thing in your life and it'll it'll open up doors and it'll make you happy and it'll allow you to do all of these amazing things. Um, we, you know, would you, if no matter what it was and it wouldn't impact your, it wouldn't impact your relationships negatively. Like it would basically be, um, you know, from a, you know, negatively in the sense that, you know, you can't tell what other people are going to react to, but would you, you know, would you be willing to do that? I'd say, sure. And it's, you know, it, for me, it's just been the, uh, you know, the, the best decision I've ever made. 
Um, and it's opened so many doors to so many different things. Um, I mentioned I go to a lot of concerts and that sort of thing. I mean, one of the things I've done more of is I'm much more, much more willing to do things like meet and greets, like some, certain bands have meet and greets and things like that. And in the past, I never would have had A, the confidence or B, the, um, you know, the confidence in myself that I would be sober enough to not make an ass of myself. <laughs> yeah. Right. And just having that confidence to know that, you know, you can be yourself in front of somebody and just walk up to somebody and say, hi, how you doing? Like, like when the people, a lot of the people I, like I, I met down in Denver, it was the same thing. Um, there's a comfort level and you have to push yourself outside of your comfort level. Right. And that's, and that's the biggest thing I've learned as well. It's just the, uh, you know, you can't change if you're not willing to try that. So. Yeah, all, all the growth that happens outside the comfort zone. That's, that's definitely true. So let me, um, let me ask you the question that I always ask. Yeah. And that is really, you know, what would you tell Mike of hiding the bottles? You know, not, not really. What would you tell him about what life's like today? And, you know, to get, give him some hope. Uh, I tell him, don't, first of all, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. Um, don't believe everything you see. Uh, you know, deceptions all around you. There's people that are trying to sell you things. There are people that are trying to tell you things that, you know, aren't necessarily doing it for your benefit. Um, I'd actually take myself right back to when we one of, one of the more powerful visualizations I have is, is taking myself right back to um, sort of my pre-drinking me, which, and my pre-memory of drinking me, which is back to my, you know, my five-year-old self, which is something that uh, I know Carly Benson mentioned in Denver. When you go back and think about, if I could go back and tell that person, um, my little five-year-old self, what, um, you know, it would be, it would be the same thing. Just don't believe everything people tell you, whether it's, you're not good enough, whether it's, you know, this beer is good for you. Um, it doesn't matter. Like it's all, you know, if you take a step back and you sort of counter that, right, it, it, yeah. it'll change everything. It really will. So, yeah, I love that. That's a very unique answer. There's so many answers, but I like that one. Just like you don't have to believe everything, you know, question yeah. this yeah. stuff because it's yeah. actually kind of illogical. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, that's, like I said, that's where I am now. I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing where it takes me from here. So, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has just really been a pleasure. It's been great to get to know you more. Enjoyed meeting you and seeing the picture at Denver. That was so cool. And um, yeah, it's just been really great. All right. I appreciate it too. Thank you. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.